0: Lord, we are so desperate to know you better. It's a word of God, Lord, that gives us direction and hope in this life. We ask that your spirit would teach us. Give give us ears to hear, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. It's great to see you again. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Genesis 26. Uh, Lord willing, we're going to be very ambitious tonight and look at the last... um, Ten or so verses of chapter 26 and all of 27, which is 46 verses long, so fasten your seatbelts and hold on, amen? All right, word of God rocks. You guys go see movies that are two and a half hours long, so there you go. It won't be that long, almost won't be that long. All right, before we get to the text, I do want to say this, the baptism on Sunday was awesome, amen? Amen. I'll tell you, as a pastor, just standing there in the ocean and listening to hundreds of people worshiping the Lord while, I don't know, 40 or 50 or so came down and were baptized and making a public confession before the world, doing it in Santa Cruz County. Wow, that blessed me big time. So I just want you to know, I was so encouraged by that. And those of you who are baptized, the Lord bless you. May it truly be a you know, a moment you look back on when God really just had a, a greater importance in your life a time when you made a decision to really follow him wholeheartedly and again we know baptism doesn't save us but really it is an act of obedience and it's an outward statement of an inward change. so it was an awesome awesome time and to be there with nine other calvary chapels that was just really sweet All right, so to bring us up to speed, I'm only going to go back to the last chapter that we looked at last week. Like father, like son, we saw the picture of Isaac, though he was the son of promise in chapter 24. A picture of Jesus Christ, Rebecca being a picture of the church. We saw that awesome picture as Eliezer, the picture of the Holy Spirit, was sent out by Abraham, like God the Father, to go and get Isaac, a bride, but a bride from among his people, and bring her back to bring back his wife to him. Isaac earlier was the one who laid down on Mount Moriah, the highest point of Mount Moriah we know today as Mount Calvary, carrying the wood on his back. Isaac, picture of Jesus Christ as he goes up and willingly submits to his father sacrificing him. We know that God stopped him before it happened, but Isaac, wow, what a godly man. Then we get to chapter 26, and then Isaac. It shows us that, you know what, while men can be godly men and women can be godly women, they can blow it big time. But praise God for his grace, amen? But Isaac follows in the footsteps of his dad, and a lot of times that's good, because Isaac was a godly man, or Abraham was a godly man, and Isaac followed some of his examples. And we'll see that in tonight's text. But he also followed the example that we saw last week, that facing a similar trial as his dad, a famine in the land, he did exactly the same thing his dad did. He ran to the world instead of running to the Lord. And then when he got there, out of fear and faithlessness, he told his wife to pretend to be his sister. This is not good, by the way. Now, Isaac, where's Isaac from Mount Moriah? Where's Isaac who waited for his wife to come? Now he's saying, just tell them you're my sister, because if you don't, they might kill me. Well, Isaac, as we saw, is confronted with temptation, and he blows his testimony. But guys, that's an exhortation for all of us, because we can do the same. So we pick up tonight, and I titled the message, God's Grace and the Carnality of Man. God's Grace and the Carnality of Man. You know what? Because of the carnality of man, we need God's grace. Amen? And we're going to see the example first of the grace of God, how God pours out his grace on those who don't deserve it. That's what grace is. Grace isn't being given something you deserve. We don't want that. Grace is being given something you don't deserve as opposed to mercy not being given something you do deserve. So praise God for his grace. We're going to see God's grace, but then we're going to see, in total contrast to that, the carnality of man, and we're going to see it from the people that should be the greatest example of godliness in the world at the time. We're going to see it in Isaac. We're going to see it in his wife, Rebecca. We're going to see it in Isaac. And not too surprisingly, we're going to see it in Esau. But we're going to see it in all four of them, in different ways where they fall into carnality, and these will be words of encouragement for us that we do not follow in that path. Praise God for his grace, but we do not want to walk in carnality. So if you're a note taker, we're going to first see God's grace. In God's grace, we're going to see that he is still with us even after we've blown it. Amen, and praise God. Amen. He's still with us even after we've blown it. Number two, we are a testimony to God's grace. Now this in, a, in some ways might seem like a backhanded compliment. But the truth is that when, God, when people see what God's done in our life, it's amazing to them. Wow! I know that guy. I know that gal. Wow! God must be real because look what he's done in them. It's amazing. And we are a testimony to God's grace. So God's grace. And then in the second portion, we're going to look at the carnality of man. Now, how do we see the carnality of man? What are the, some of the symptoms of carnality? Number one, showing total disregard for God's command. God gives us a command and we just, whatever. That's carnality. where we don't take what God has commanded us to do seriously. When we walk in spiritual indifference. Number two, chasing fleshly appetites over the word of God. Where our priority is to feed our flesh and the desires of our flesh with a disregard for what the word of God says. Number three, using fleshly schemes to bring about God's will. Rebecca's gonna do that in tonight's text. Where we try to manipulate God. Guys, how stupid is that when you really think about it? If you really just step back, you go, that is the dumbest thing anybody could ever do in history. Try to manipulate the creator of the universe. Like he's not paying attention or something. Like he doesn't know what we're about. But we can do we've all done it. We try to make God's will happen by using our fleshly desires and by striving in our flesh to make it happen. And you know, more and more the Lord continues to remind me, no striving, no striving, resting, trusting, waiting upon the Lord. Point number four, signs of when you're walking in carnality, you walk in deception while rejecting repeated opportunities to repent. You know, when you are walking outside of God's will, because you're his child and because he loves you, he's gonna give you opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to get right with him. We're gonna see that tonight with Jacob. Jacob, a man that's gonna be used mildly by God. His name's gonna become Israel later. He's going to, all the 12 tribes come from him. It's through his line that Jesus Christ is going to come. But guess what in tonight's text? He's gonna be a man who walks in total deception. A man who does not regard the truth of the word of God, and does not respond to the opportunities to repent. Last two points, we'll see the consequences of indifference, the indifference of Esau, and then the consequences of Jacob's deception at the very end. So we're going to move it a little bit quicker clip than we usually do, but I want you to get the whole story all together, so we're going to look at it all tonight. So let's begin there, in verse 23 of Genesis 26, looking at God's grace, that he is still with us even after we've blown it. So in context, what has just happened, Isaac had just lied about his wife, Abimelech. Abimelech is an ungodly king of the Philistines. Abimelech catches him, looks in a window, and sees him caressing his wife, realizing that's not your sister, that's your wife. He gets confronted by the Philistine king, and after being confronted by the Philistine king, the Philistine king kind of sends him on his way, but as he's going on his way, God blesses him in a mighty way, and he prospers. And now that comes to the point where we are right now, he's just totally blown it, He's just totally blown his testimony. His, he's not done great things for the name of God, but watch how God responds to him. Look what it says. It says, and he went up from there to Beersheba. Beersheba, we're going to see at the end of the text today, Beersheba means well of oath. And so what had just happened at this point is he gone out. And there were wells that were there, and they need water, and he'd been sent away, and he was moving further and further back into the land of promise. And each time he stops at a well, he digs a well, water begins to spring up. If you are here last week, remember, water's springing up, and then the Philistines would come and say, no, that's our well, you can't have it. And instead of fighting, he let them have the well. And he named one of the wells contention, and he named the other one striving. And he said, I'm not going to contend, I'm not going to strive, this is a heart that's being moved back to serve the Lord, and right after that he goes up now to Beersheba, and then this is what it says, and the Lord appeared to him that same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham, do not fear, I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. The Lord had blessed him in the land, the Lord had made things fruitful, he was no longer striving, but he had totally blown it, he had just, again, blown his testimony, saying she is my sister, God could have easily just said, you're such a knucklehead, I want nothing more to do with you. But that's not what God does, aren't you glad? God instead, what does he do? He comes to him, he appears to him as he's moving back into the land of promise, And he's seen both his failure and his faithlessness in the midst of the famine. And he says to him, do not fear. When God says, do not fear, you know what that means? He's afraid. You know, he's blown it. He's realized this, boy, I was outside of God's will. And in the midst of his totally blowing it, in the midst of his testimony being harmed, in the midst of bringing the name of God low, all of a sudden the Lord shows up to him as he's afraid and says, don't be afraid don't fear. If you're here tonight and you feel like you've blown it, the Lord would say to you, do not fear. I still love you. He's still faithful. Amen? It's a lie of the enemy that would bring you to a place of fear. But God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. You know, you've blown it, I'm still with you. You're facing opposition and unfair treatment, don't be afraid, I'm with you. He never leaves us, he never forsakes us. He forgives us even when we've blown it and he stands with us when we are mistreated by the world around us. The world had just been attacking him every time he he dug a well. And every time he dug a well, as the enemy came against him, God was right there with him. And as he walked away and let the world have it, God would continue to give him something better. Guys, as we leave those things of contention and striving and walk away and leave them in the Lord's hands, don't you know God always has something better for you? Sometimes you're blown away when you have to walk away from something and it doesn't seem right and I tried so hard to get that. Trust that God has something better. He's faithful. He knows what's best for you. So Isaac, he's blown it. He lied. He lied. But God's word can't be thwarted by the frailties of man. Aren't you glad? God is still faithful. God's going to step in. God's going to make sure his will takes place, whether we've blown it or not. Isaac had lied. He was still the son of promise. Isaac had faced his opposition, and God's will was still going to be done in his life. And then it says in verse 25, So he built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord, and he pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants dug a well. So what did he do? The Lord appears to him. Oh, what relief that brings. What refreshment that brings when we've blown it and we've been away from the Lord when we've walked away and we've chosen to walk in rebellion. And then in the midst of all of that, the Lord shows up and reminds us, you're still mine. I still love you. I'm still faithful. I'm never gonna leave you. I'm a gracious and merciful God. Don't be afraid I've not given you a spirit of fear. I'm never going to leave you. And then how does he respond to being refreshed by the Lord? He built an altar there. Now, he had learned bad things from his dad, but he learned some good things too. And he learned to build an altar. An altar was a place of worship, a place of remembrance. And these are things that should be evident in our homes. Worship of the Lord. He built an altar, that place to worship God. And then he called on the name of the Lord. That means he sought the Lord in prayer. You know, when he was blowing it, he wasn't praying. Have You ever noticed that? You go through the entire previous chapter, he doesn't get on his knees, ask God for direction, and then say, okay, I've heard from the Lord, tell him you're my sister. That's not going to happen. It happens when we don't pray, when we don't seek the Lord, when we're moved by our flesh, when we use our own intellect. That's when we totally blow it. And now, having been refreshed by the Lord, He turns again to the Lord. He builds an altar, a place of worship, and he calls on his name. Then it says, and he pitched his tent there. He now is dwelling back in the land of promise. Having ventured outside, having ventured away from the promised land that God had called him to, he returns. But again, he dwells in a tent because for you and I, this is temporary. This is not our home. We do dwell here and dwell with him here, but this is not where we're going to end up. So place of worship. He calls on the name of the Lord. He's dwelling in the land of, the prom- of promise, and then he digs another well. Remember that the previous wells he had walked away from. He had seen God bless him, but he trusted in God's provision. God, it doesn't matter how many wells I have to walk away from. It doesn't matter how many jobs I lose. It doesn't matter what my economic struggles are. God, you've promised to provide, and you are faithful. But notice they dug a well. You know, they didn't lay on their back, you know, some people say, well, God's not providing. Well, how many jobs do you look for this week? Well, none. You know, you know, you're sitting at home watching Oprah, probably someone's not knocking on the door offering you a job. Probably not going to work out that way, amen? So notice, they dug a well. There was a time to, okay, we trust in God's provision, but I'm doing my part. I'm going to put feet to my faith. I'm going to go out and do whatever's necessary, but I'm going to trust that as I dig a well, God's going to produce water, provision for me, and so what happens? They dug a well. Now what's neat is we see this picture of worship, prayer, dwelling in God's presence, and trusting him to provide. And we know the well is going to bring forth water. And water in scripture represents two things. The word of God. The Bible says in Ephesians, to sanctify your home by the washing of the water of the word of God. And secondly, the Holy Spirit gives us living water, right? If you'd asked of me, John chapter four, I would have given you living water. So we see here that in a place where there's worship and prayer and dwelling in the presence of the Lord and trusting God to provide, one of the sources of all of that, one of the encouragements in all of that is the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit to move in our lives. So the first point we've seen here in God's grace and the carnality of man is he is still with us even after we've blown it. He blew it. God showed up. God ministered to him. God provided for him. God refreshed him. He strengthened him. You can take a million steps away from God. It's one step back. Amen? And he longs for you to turn back to him. Point number two, we are a testimony of to God's grace. Now, look what happens here. Verse 26 Then Abimelech came to him from Gerar with Ahuzaf, one of his friends, and Philcal, the commander of his army. Now, he comes out, the king of the Philistines, the ones who had just sent them packing, the one who had just sent him away because he saw him with his wife whom he had said was his sister, the one who had rebuked him. And now some time has passed. We know from the previous chapter that God had blessed him. God had given him flocks and herds, and he seemed really blessed by God. Now he's dug a well, and he's got rushing water, and things seem to be wonderful. And in the midst of all of that, Abimelech comes out to Isaac. And he brings with him a witness and the commander of his army, because he's about to make an oath. He's going to come to Isaac and ask him to make a covenant with him, and we'll talk about why. So he brings a friend and a commander. He comes out to make a covenant with him, verse twenty-seven. And Isaac said to him, "Why have you come to me, since you hate me and have sent me away from you? Why did you come out here? You told after I lied about my wife. You know what? You rebuked me. You sent me away. So why in the world have you come out to see me? Well, the reason, as we're going to see, is because he knows that God's hand is upon him. Look at verse 28. But they said, we have certainly seen that the Lord is with you. So we said, let there now be an oath between us and between you and us and let us make a covenant with you. Now, they're watching Isaac's life just like the world watches yours and they were blown away that God is blessing him because they can't figure out why. What do we know about Isaac? Liar. Runs in time of famine, right? But yet God is blessing that guy socks off. Why is that happening? You know what it tells them? It's not the goodness of Isaac, but it's the graciousness of his God. And they realize, ooh, Isaac blows it. God still blesses him. That tells me that we better watch out for the God of Isaac because his God must be God. And you know what? His future is going to be strong. And if we as a people are going to survive, we better make sure that we're on his side. You know what, guys? This is a picture for us that how when we live in front of the world and they see God's grace being poured out upon us, not because of what we deserve, but because of who he is, it uh, it gives them a, a sense of urgency. It gives them a desire to know the God we serve. And that's exactly what's happening here with Isaac. And they say, Let there be an oath between us. Let us make a covenant. They want a covenant with Isaac because they clearly see, again, that we need this treaty or we're going to be in big trouble because, you know what, his God is proven to be God. Guys, sometimes it's going to take the trials for people to see that our God is real. It's going to be the difficulties of life and the struggles of life for them to know and see that our God is real, that the future is with us. No other explanation. Not something that we 've earned, not something that we 've done, not because of our great talent, they know their only way this is possible is because of god 's grace. It says you are now blessed of the lord verse twenty nine we, we, we don 't make a covenant, you will do us no harm since since we have not touched you, and since We've done nothing to you but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now blessed of the Lord. They're saying, look, you're blessed of God. We sent you away. Let me remind you that we didn't smote you when we could have. We didn't get after you when we heard about what what happened with your sister. We just sent you away. Can you remember that for the future? And you know what? Make a covenant with us. Now, Isaac could have at this point been vengeful and prideful. No, you guys sent me packing. I'm making, I'm not making nothing with you. How about that? And when, when my when my kingdom's bigger than yours, we'll be marching right through there. So just hang on to your hat. I mean, that's what he could have said, right? And you know, so often too, we need to make sure that we don't come across as self righteous. We're one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. We're sinners in desperate need of a savior, and praise God, we've been saved. But you know what? That is? that should never promote arrogance or pride, but brokenness and surrender and a realization of the grace of God. And so we're going to see how Isaac responds. And so he made them a feast, verse 30, and they ate and drank. So a feast was a common custom when entering into an oath. And they arose early, verse 31, in the morning and swore an oath with one another. And Isaac sent them away, and they departed from him in peace. So those who whom with he refused to strive now sought him out to make peace. Remember, they wanted to fight with him over the well. He said, have it. They wanted to fight with him over the next well. He said, have it. Now some time has gone by, and that character and the grace of God continuing to bless him brought about an opportunity for ministry. Guys, let's not win the battle and lose the war with our coworkers or our neighbors. Let's not prove ourselves right to the point of having no opportunity to share Jesus Christ with someone in the future. It's better to just let them have it. Amen? Let, let it go. Let him have it. Go ahead. You win the deal. All right, I got cheated a little bit. Whatever, because you know what? What's more important is my testimony. A good name is better to be held than anything else the world has to offer us. And we need to have a name that honors and glorifies the name of Jesus Christ. And so we see here that Isaac, though he had blown it greatly, God's grace is continuing to have him be a testimony to who he is. It's only when you and I enter into the covenant. Now notice, they're going to enter into the covenant with the son of promise. And when they enter into the covenant with the son of promise, they have peace. Look what it says. They departed from him in peace. They had a covenant with the son of promise and then they had peace. Guys, it's only when you and I have a covenant with the son of promise, Jesus Christ, that you and I can have peace. Amen? There's no peace apart from uh, an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Verse 32 and 33. It came to pass on the same day that Isaac's servants came and told him about the well which they had dug. And they said to him, we have found water. So it was called Sheba. And there the name of the city was Beersheba to this day. Beersheba is from Dan to Beersheba. Those are the two extremes in Israel. And Beersheba is, one, is the southernmost point. And so, there in Beersheba is the place where this well was dug. And Beersheba means the well of oath. So, every time they drew, walked by that well, they would be reminded of the covenant between them and the, and the Philistines. The covenant that God had provided for them. They had been chased out of the land. They had given up the striving. They had given up the contention. And yet, God provided for them. We don't have to strive for God to provide. We don't have to cheat. We don't have to knock people down. We don't have to work under the table. We don't have to rip off the government. Amen and amen. We don't have to do those kinds of things to try to get over. We trust God to provide. He's faithful. It's all his. Let's honor him. Let's be obedient. And the, and the Lord will indeed give us, you know, something much greater than we could ever expect. Now, it was a reminder. Altars in those days, wells, they would walk by and it would be a reminder to them. You know, today we don't have altars. But you know what we have as a reminder the cross of Calvary. Every time, and again, we don't worship the cross. We worship the Savior, amen? We don't carry a cross around and kiss it in a it stole. It's not how we treat the cross. I don't, it's, I don't think it's wrong to wear a cross around your neck. It should be a reminder to you every single day of God's love and grace, amen? When I see someone wearing a cross, I always love to ask them, does that have special meaning to you? Some people, it's just a piece of jewelry. That's a great witnessing opportunity. They're wearing their own witnessing opportunity. Right, amen? You get to share with them. But for us, for them, the well was something they would look at and remember God's grace. We look at the cross and we remember God's grace. And we also, too, have something else that's our reminder. It's not a well, but it's what comes from the well. It's the water. It's the Holy Spirit. Guys, we have a down payment on heaven and the person of the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. If you're convicted when you sin, that's good. Amen? If you're not convicted when you sin, you need to get saved. Because conviction is what the Holy Spirit does out of love for us to bring us back into right relationship with Him. So, we've seen just those examples of God's grace, and now we're going to move on to, from the grace of God to the carnality of man in the second portion of the text here. And so we're first going to see in the carnality of man showing total disregard for God's command. Just coming to a place where I don't care what the Bible says, I don't care what the Word of God says, I don't care what he's commanded me to do, I'm going to do exactly the opposite and too bad. Well, it's not too bad for God, it's too bad for you. Because look what it says in verse 34. When Esau was 40 years old, he took as wives Judith the daughter of Barry the Hittite, and Basimath, the daughter of Elon the Hittite. Um, Esau, remember the story of how your dad was married. Remember that Abraham said, you are not to take a wife for my son from among these people. They're idol worshippers." You must go. 500 miles away, Eliezer was sent to find him a suitable wife, a godly woman, and to bring her back. And yet Esau knows the command of God that he is not to intermarry with the idolatrous people of the land. And not only does he marry one idolatrous woman, he marries two. So you've got disobedience and you've got polygamy all at the same time. Just total disregard for God's command. Esau doesn't get it. This is the man of the flesh. He's described in Hebrews chapter 12 as a fornicator and a profane person. He knew God's command and instead of guarding the integrity of the line of the Messiah, he took an ungodly, idolatrous woman as a wife. He had no concern for God's promise, no concern for God's blessing, no concern for the messianic line that he was supposed to be a part of. And here he is at 40 years old, just no discretion, none at all, and just going out and doing what he wants and just telling God, I don't care what you think. And then it says this, And they were a grief in the mind of Isaac and Rebekah. When we go out and just disregard the word of God and know what his word says and do the exact opposite, we're going to bring heartache not only to ourselves, but to all of those who love us. And the heart of his parents just absolutely sank. He made a deliberate choice against the counsel of his parents to go contrary to God's will. And these women were a grief in the mind of both Isaac and Rebekah, because they were daughters of Canaan, those who'd been so clearly told to avoid by the Lord and by their father Abraham. They were daughters of Ishmael. And this, no doubt is alienating Esau even further from God's promises and purposes, as well as the standard of holiness. This profane fornicator, again, by his words and actions, is just proving who he is on the inside. Let me say this. No one serious about serving God will date or marry an unbeliever. Amen? People in compromise do it all the time. They are moved by the outward appearance, and then they try to find a way to make it work. Oh, she fine. Oh, I hope she... Oh, have you ever been to church in your life? Okay, you went great. Let's date. Oh, he's good looking. Oh, look. Hey, I heard him, you know, he, he used the Lord's name. It wasn't the proper way, but at least he used it, so hey, come on down. No, no, no. And let me say this too. You shouldn't just looking for someone who believes in God, but someone who is madly and passionately in love with our Savior. Someone who's sold out for the Lord. And that's true of every one of us, but especially for you women, because the man is called to be the spiritual leader in your household. You know what? What he is now, he's only going to be ten times over when you marry him. You're not going to change him. He's not going to get better. So don't be surprised. You put it, you take the, he's on his best behavior before you get married. Do you understand that? He's holding back all the rudeness that's within him. Do you understand that? You do not want to compromise on this. Esau does, and it's going to be absolutely tragic. He was a man of the flesh who lived for the pleasures of the here and now. I don't care what God says. I want what I want, and I want it right now. Point number two in carnal, the carnality of man, choosing fleshly appetites over the word of God. And notice this time, it's Isaac again. Isaac, God just blessed you. You just built the altar. Isaac, you're back on the mark. Well, some time has gone by, and watch what happens. Now, it came to pass, so actually from chapter 26 to chapter 27 is about 36 years. You don't always see that in the Bible, right? Now it came to pass. How long was it? 36 years went by. Now, watch what Isaac says. Now, it came to pass when Isaac was old, and his eyes were so dim that he could not see, that he called Esau's elder son and said to him, my son. And he said, here I am. So Isaac is 137 years old at this point. And his eyesight is near blindness. He thinks he's getting close to the time that he's going to die. He actually is going to live 43 more years. He just doesn't know it. But he thinks he's getting, you know, this reminds me of people that start dying like when they're 35. I'm going to die any day now. You know, come on. People like that. Every time they get, oh, yeah, I'm dying, oh, hyper. Stop. So this is here's Isaac, and he's worried. He's concerned about making sure he gives the birthright. He gives the blessing before he dies. Except he's concerned the totally wrong way, because God already told him. Do you remember when the two children were fighting within Rebecca's womb? The God came, the Lord came to her, angel Lord Jesus Christ came to her and said, you have two nations in your womb, and the younger, the older, is going to serve the younger. And Jacob was the younger. God had already said, Jacob's the guy. Then we know later that Esau didn't care cared so little about his birthright that what did he do? He sold it for a bowl of soup. You remember that? Give me a bowl of soup, or I'll give you a birthright. He didn't even care. He was totally spiritually indifferent. He had no concerns for the things of God. And now his dad says, hey, I'm getting close to death. I need to make sure I get Esau in here so I can give him the birthright. Isaac. Now, when we totally blow it, God's great enough to intervene to make sure his will is done. And that's what's going to happen here. But watch verse 2. And it says, Then he said, behold, now I am old, and I do not know the day of my death. Got forty-three more years. Let me. I know the day of your death, but it's a little too late now. So verse three. Now therefore, please take your weapons and your quiver and your bow and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and make me savory food, such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, and that my soul may bless you before I die. Now, Isaac and Esau are 77 years old at this point. And we remember that Esau was the one who was loved more by his dad. Do you remember that? And Jacob was loved more by his mom. And so what happens here is that Isaac, loving his son more, he's the more macho guy. He's the one that hunts in the field. He's the one that kills the stuff and brings it in and makes the savory meat that I like. Think of, you know, the... He brings in the tri-tip I really like. That's good stuff. So, son, go out and kill me one of the... Uh, bring me some venison, man. I had savory meat that I really like. What is it he likes about Esau? Fleshly things. He sees fleshly things in him. He's a macho guy. He's my big hairy son. That's what Esau means, hairy. My big hairy son. I'll go out and give me some food. Ah. And notice what it says. Make me the savory meat such as I love. Give me that meat. That's what I want. Go give me the food. Come on. Now, do we see any prayer going on around here? We got any seeking after the things of God? I just see this old blind guy laying in a bed with saliva running down his face. (laughs) Oh, meat, all good. Yeah, yeah, go give me some of that venison. Come on, son, go get that for me. And then, you know what, when you get back, I'll bless you. You know what, may we never be ruled by our fleshly appetites, but be led by the Holy Spirit. May we never allow our desire for the things of the flesh to overrule the leading of the Holy Spirit in our life. It's a sad thing for a believer to be so ruled by his appetite that he loves his food and bases important decisions on it, the availability of the food that I like. You know what Isaac's about to do, or at least thinks he's going to do? He's going to do the very same thing Esau did, sell out for a meal, Right? Esau, I'll give you my birthright for a bowl of soup. Isaac's about to say, I'll give you the birthright. Go get me some venison, man. Go hunt me down some food and then I'll bless you. And then he says that my soul may bless you before I die. So in spite of the fact that God already told him it was Jacob, in spite of the superiority of Jacob's character and discernment and convictions over those of Esau, in spite of the fact that Esau sold his birthright, in spite of the fact that Esau has married two ungodly, idolatrous women, in spite of all of that, he still wants to bless him. He goes contrary to the will of God in spite of everything that, that, that so clearly is outside of God's will. And he wants to bless Esau. So again, what happened to the Isaac on Mount Moriah? Where's that guy? Where's that guy carrying the wood at Mount Moriah? Where's that guy who, who was faithful and built the altar? He's gone from complete surrender to feeding his flesh. Verse 5. And it says there, now Rebecca was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau's son and Isaac went to the field to hunt game and bring it. You know, it's significant that he's doing this and doesn't talk to he hasn't even talked to his wife about it. You know why? Because he knows his wife will tell him, uh, babe, not so much. Don't you remember the angel of the Lord came and told us it's Jacob? But remember, Rebecca loved Jacob more. And Isaac loved Esau, and this should never be so amongst parents. Amen. We should never play favorites with our children. Love the, you know. Our, my, I have four kids; they're all different, and I would die for every one of them. And if somebody stuck a gun in my head and said, Wait, "I love them all the same," I love them all equally, and that should be our heart. And sadly, we see the secretive nature of Isaac's desire to do this is only because he knows it's wrong. He's ashamed. Guys, if you have to do it in secret, something's wrong. Amen? If you're hiding it from everybody else, there's a reason for it. it. should be able to be done out in the open. So he knew Rebecca would not approve what he was doing. She hears it. Point number three in the carnality of man. Using fleshly schemes to bring about God's will. So we've seen Isaac's blowing it. We know that Esau blew it when he married those women, and he's been blowing it since... He sold his birthright for a bowl of soup, right? He's a profane guy. Now, Rebecca. Rebecca. So far, Rebecca's been, you know, the one we could say, Rebecca. Watch carnality. She's going to use fleshly schemes to bring about God's will. Guys, does the ends justify the means? What's the answer? I was watching TV not long ago and a guy, it was a show and he was having people fake healed so he could increase the faith of the people that were there so then maybe somebody would really get healed. And he was trying to explain away how that was okay. Uh, Not so much. The ends do not justify the means, amen? It's not, we don't circumvent the word of God to to try to bring about the will of God. So she'd been given direct instruction. She knew that God had already promised. And now she hears of his plans. Look at verse 6. So Rebecca spoke to Jacob, her son, saying, Indeed, I heard your father speak to Esau, your brother, saying, Now guess who else is doing stuff in secret? Isaac, uh, Jacob, come here. come here. I just heard your dad. And he was talking to Esau. And he told Esau to go make some food. And he's going to give him his birthright. We can't let that happen. We've got we to intervene here. You don't have to intervene. You know what they should have done? Prayed. What they should have done is went, you know what, God, you're in control. You already said that the the birthright belongs to Jacob. We're going to get to watch how you're going to do that. Let's just sit back here and and watch it. Or, Or she may have gone to her husband and said, hey, I heard what you said. Can I remind you that the Lord said it's Jacob? But instead, they're scheming against each other, and this is a husband and a wife. And so it says in verse seven, bring me game and make savory food for me and I may eat it and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. So he told Esau to go do this. So we got to make sure we get a jump on him. So she felt that God's will must override her husband's will. So she felt like that gave her permission to do whatever is necessary. He said, go bring me food. So Rebecca, instead of trusting in the Lord, she tries to scheme to make God's will happen. Verse eight. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice according to what I command you. Go now to the flock and bring me two choice kids of goats, and I will make savory food from them for your father, such as he loves. So she, fearing that Jacob might, You know, go along. Jacob might not go along, commands him to obey her. Says you obey me, you do what I've told you to do. And guys, when we lead our parents outside of God's will, we bring consequences not only upon ourselves, but upon our children as well. She should have prayerfully approached him, and instead she's leading her son down a line of deception. I you know, it breaks my heart to see kids being used as pawns in marriages. You know, trying to get kids on one side or the other. and you know, parents, All parents have done it to some degree at some point. But you especially see it when there's a divorce or a separation and they're using their kids to get after each other. And here we see this, and this is the line through whom Jesus Christ is going to come. This is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the guys. And here's deception going on to try to bring about God's will. Isaac would have brought it, done it eventually because God would have brought him around without them being deceptive. And then it says, then you shall, verse 10, take it to your father. Bring me the food. I'll make the savory food. Take it to him that he may eat it, that he may bless you before his death. So, first of all, she must have been a really good cook because she's going to make goat taste like venison. I don't know how she's going to do that, but she's going to. And she says, just go get me a couple of goats out of the pen out there. Bring it in. I'll make your dad the food. He's not seeing so well, so maybe he won't know the difference. And then, you bring that into him and he'll bless you instead of blessing your brother. Now, Jacob is smart enough to ask, ask questions, but he's not broken enough to say, I won't do it. Look what he says in verse 11 and 12. And Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, look, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man and I'm smooth skinned. You know, if I go in there, and tell dad, hey, dad, it's Esau. Come here. No, you're not. Where's Harry your smooth skin where's harry your heel catcher where's harry right she's gonna she's gonna know if i go in there and he says perhaps my father will feel me feel me and i shall seem to be a deceiver to him oh uh, yes and i shall bring a curse on myself and not a blessing oh uh, yes again so what he doesn't say um mom this is a bad idea mom um this is not what god wants us to do mom He already sold me his birthright. Mom, God promised to give it to me. Mom, we don't have to do this. Instead, what does he do? He starts coming up with a better way to make sure the plan works. Mom, if I show up, he's going to know I'm not hairy. He's only worried about getting caught, not about doing it right. And that's the sad part because this is Jacob. Verse 13, but his mom said to him, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go get them for me. She offers to be cursed herself. We'll talk about that when we get to the end of the text. If we're caught, I'll take the blame. It was my idea. Jacob was only obeying me. How tragic for godly parents to allow again their children to be placed in a place of compromise as they seek to try to make God's will happen their own way. And he went and got them and brought them to his mother. He went and got the goats, brought them to his mother. And his mother made savory food such as his father loved. So I find it interesting that, again, he loved his son because of his game, because of the meat he made, but he's going to think the goat's pretty, pretty close. Didn't go to show you that the things of the world that we think are so significant aren't that big a deal. Well, God has is so much better. Verse 15. The Rebecca took the choice clothes of her elder son Esau, which were in her, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. So Esau's been married 37 years. He lives in another tent with his two wives, but his best clothes, the clothes he would wear for such an event, are in their home. Shows you that Esau's not dressing up a lot. He's just not. And so his good clothes are at mom's house still. And so they're there, they're available, and she takes out the choice clothes, the clothes that Esau would wear to go in and ask his dad to appear before his dad to receive the blessing, and she puts them on Isaac. Jacob would come before his father, seeking his father's blessing and birthright, clothed in the robes of his profane brother. You know, if we're to come before our heavenly father and receive our eternal blessing, we cannot come clothed, in our fleshly, sinful garments. Amen? We cannot come clothed in the profane and sinful and fleshly garments and expect God to bless us. We must, must come clothed in the righteousness of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. The only way we can approach the Father. No other way. But they're going to try to come the fleshly way. And then it says in verse 16, And she put skins of kids of the goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. Man, this dude was hairy. Dude, if you got a big old hairy thing on the back of your neck, think about that, in front of your neck. This guy, he's hairy, man. And so she's, can you imagine this? He's putting on his brother's clothes, and they're like, I don't know how they got it on their tape. You know, they didn't have tape back then. Just putting all this stuff on his body, you know, gluing it down somehow. You know, I don't know what they used, sap from a tree or something. Here he is, all harried up, and, you know, hair on his arms, and going in to talk to, and bringing goat to his dad. Then it says in verse 17, then she gave the savory food and the bread and that she prepared into the hand of her son, Jacob. So here she is scheming to get God's will done. This is a sign of carnality and we're trying to manipulate God to get his will done. Now, notice the next point, walking in deception while rejecting repeated opportunities to repent. Look what it says in verse 18. So he went to his father and said, my father, and he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? This should be the first clue that something's up. Who are you, my son? You know why? Because I have an idea Jacob's voice was a lot different. Now, I have no way of knowing, but if I had to guess, I would guess that Esau's voice was a lot lower. Can you imagine Jacob? Hi, uh, hi Dad. uh, Yeah, it's, uh, it's Esau. Who are you, my son? You know what this is an opportunity to do? Tell the truth. Here's an opportunity already to repent. You haven't even started yet. You can do it right now. Who are you, my son? Oh, Dad, I was going to pretend to be, but I'm not. It's, I, it's your son, Jacob. I'm just bringing you some food, and it's not Esau. And... Never mind. I'm trusting God. and Walked out, right? But that's not what happened. You know what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians? No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Have you ever noticed when you're headed towards sin that God's throwing up stop signs all along the way? He's throwing up stop signs and placing big exits all along the way, isn't he? You're walking and there's an exit. There's a stop, exit, another one, right? Right? God does that because he loves us. The way of escape is there. The first one is, who are you? Who are you, my son? Now, he's asking the question because obviously he's wondering if this really is indeed Esau. Jacob could have approached his father with the truth. Rebecca, right here, could have stepped in. And Jacob said to his father, verse 19, I am Esau, your firstborn. Oh, Jacob. He's lying. Instead, of repenting, he chooses to lie. I am Esau, your firstborn. And then he says, I have done just as you told me. Please arise and sit and eat my game that your soul may bless me. It is truly sad how easy it can be for even the most godly to fall in a pattern of lies. And guess what? When you lie once, more lies are coming. Amen? Because you've got to cover the first lie with another one. But Esau, Look at verse 20. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? You know, I just sent you out hunting. How did you hunt it, kill it, bring it back, skin it, cook it, and get it to me so quick? This is another opportunity to do what? Repent. Oh, dad, well, not so much. It was actually mom got some goats, and it's, it's Jacob. Here you go. Could have done that, right? Here's another opportunity to, you know, instead, what does he say? Now, watch this, because this gets really bad. Watch what he says. And he said, "Because the Lord your God brought it to me." He lies, and now he says, "I found it so quick because God brought it to me." You know what? Lying is always wrong. Bringing God into your lie, oh! Does somebody step away from you for the lightning, right, dude? Are you Jacob? This is Israel so tragic and so it just shows how quickly right now at this point he has no fear of god does he he blasphemes he attributes to god what he's doing he wants to win at any cost there's no fear of god here verse 21 then isaac said to jacob please come near to me that i may feel you my son whether you are really my son esau or not He's already told two lies. His dad still doesn't believe it's his son. He tells him to come near. Here's another opportunity to repent. But the deception goes on. Look at verse 23. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. But then he said, are you really my son Esau? And he said, I am. His lying is growing and growing and growing. He's deceiving this is what happens when we walk in carnality. We're not worried about obeying God, but getting our will done. We want what we want, whatever it takes, no matter how much I have to compromise, I'm willing to do it. Here's a fourth opportunity, and he's 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 so woven in a tangled web of lies. And some have tried to say, well, Maybe they were supposed to do this because this brought about God's will. Well, just think of it this way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the truth. Satan is the father of lies who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. So when you lie, are you being Christ-like or Satan-like? So being Satan-like to get God's will done, heaven forbid. He's practicing deception the Bible says to obey is better than sacrifice. I cheated on my taxes, Lord, so I could give you more. No. To obey is better than sacrifice. More than hands raised is a life lived in obedience. That's what blesses and honors the heart of God. Verse 25, and he said, Bring it, bring near, bring it near to me, And I will eat of my son's game so that my soul may bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near to me and kiss me, my son. Again, be able to smell his son. And he came near and kissed him and he smelled the smell of his clothing and blessed him and said, surely the smell of my son is like the smell of a field. Which the Lord has blessed. Therefore may God give you of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth, and the plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you, let nations bow down to you, be master over you your brethren, and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who cursed you, curses you, and blessed be those who bless you. This blessing was meant for Jacob. But Isaac is going outside of God's will, and he has just said in his blessing that let your mother's sons serve you. That would mean that he's saying the blessing belongs to Esau. You know what? God had already planned that the priestly line was going to come through Isaac. Esau is married to an idolatrous woman. This is not God's will. And he tries to circumvent it, but God steps in, and he's going to preserve his will at any cost sometimes. Notice his blessing. He said, may you be prosperous. May you be powerful. May your, you, know, your, you have posterity. You know The blessing that included in, a- in the Abrahamic covenant. Descendants as the stars of the sky. That all the nations of the world would be blessed. The Messiah would come through you. And again, it seems like the lies and deception of Jacob are being rewarded greatly. But as we're going to see in a little while, that that's not going to be the case at all. There's going to be consequences. So now... Finishing up the last two points. Consequences of spiritual indifference. Watch what happens. So Esau has lived 77 years. He's been totally indifferent before God. Have we seen Esau one time do anything godly yet? Have we seen him pray, serve God, seek God in any way? I'm not saying he never did, but we never see it recorded. He's been totally indifferent. He's not acted like he wants God's blessing. Now watch what happens. Now what happened as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob... And Jacob had scarcely gone from the presence of Isaac, his father, that Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. So Jacob finishes, Esau shows up, desiring to receive the blessing, and it's going to be too late. Notice that he misses out on God's blessing while he's out hunting. Too often we miss out on what God has for us. We're out chasing the things of the world. Amen? We're out chasing the things of the world, and we miss out on God's highest. And it says... He also made him savory food and brought it to his father and said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that your soul may bless me. Now, can you imagine the confusion going on with Isaac? What? I just ate. Who? I just hugged my son. I felt his hairy neck. What are you talking about? And he comes in and Esau brings the, the fruit of what he has brought to him. But notice he's seeking a spiritual blessing, blessing from something that is fleshly. You know, your good deeds won't save you. Going out and doing all the things of the world will not bring about spiritual blessing, but he's trying to get a spiritual blessing from a fleshly activity, verse 32. And his father said to him, who are you? So he said to him, I am your son, your firstborn. Who are you? Imagine the shock of Esau's again, his father questions him guess what? On that great day of judgment, they are going to be people that stand before Almighty God, who've done good deeds in His name, and He's going to say, depart from me, for I do not know you. I prophesied in your name. I did great things in your name. Look, Dad, I went out and killed the the venison for you, and I brought it back. Who are you? Because guys, it's not our good deeds that save us. It's a right relationship with Him. And then it says this, and Isaac trembled exceedingly and said, Who? Where is the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came, and I've blessed him, and indeed he shall be blessed. Isaac is trembling, it says there. He trembled exceedingly at the realization that he had been deceived by his wife and his son. And now he's angry, and he's got concern for Esau, and he's grieved at everything that has happened. But you know what? The greatest shock is that he's been outside of God's will. And then he says, I've blessed him, and indeed, he is going to be blessed. Blessed. Verse 34. Now watch what happens. When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, oh, bless me also, oh, my father. But he said, your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessing. Notice that he's weeping and he's wailing, this macho stud of a guy. But you know what the Bible tells us? That those who come before Almighty God in the flesh, he will cast them out. He'll say, I don't know who you are. And then it says there will be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth as they are separated from the Father for eternity. He comes in the power of the flesh and he is being cast out. The blessing that he's trying to achieve in fleshly deeds will never be something that he can accomplish. It says again in Matthew 8, will be cast into outer darkness and there will be weeping and gnashing of of teeth and then isaac said he said your brother has come and now esau's response is going to be this he's taken away your blessing he told him first of all he didn't take it away because it never belonged to him it didn't belong to him at birth he'd already sold it for a bowl of soup but again the focus here has been on the physical and not the spiritual and esau said is he not rightly named jacob what does jacob mean deceiver heel catcher Isn't he rightly named Deceiver, that deceiving little dog of a little brother? You know, that's kind of the mentality here. You know, big brothers don't typically like their little brothers anyway, so this is just causing more problems. This is the one who had a big brother who beat me soundly growing up. But you know, that's what big brothers do. And now his little brother, in his mind, has stolen something that belongs to him, but it was never his. When we have conflict, we can either look upon the hearts of others and, be brought to a place of repentance, or we can look and seek to take vengeance. How do you think Esau is going to respond? For he has supplanted me two times. He took away my birth right now. He's taken away my blessing. And have you not reserved any blessing for me? Dad, is there any blessing left? Is there anything left? And Isaac answered and said to Esau, Indeed, I have made him your master and all his brethren. I have given to him you to him as servants with grain and with wine. I have sustained him. What shall I do now for you, my son? And Esau said to his father, have you only one blessing, my father? Bless me, bless me also, my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. You know what? He's been indifferent his entire life until when? Until he stands before his dad, in a sense, on Judgment Day. Guys, the people that are walking in their flesh are going to be indifferent about the things of God until when? Until one day they stand before Almighty God and their indifference is going to come back to haunt them, Amen. This is what's happened. He's been indifferent for 77 years. Now the rewards are being handed out and now he cares. A little too late to start, being, to start caring. Then Isaac said, to Esau, I have made him your master. Esau said to his father, is there any other blessing? And Isaac, his father answered and said, behold, your dwelling shall be in the fatness of the earth and the dew of heaven from above, but your sword shall live and your, you shall serve your brother and it shall come to pass that when you become restless, that you shall break his yoke from your neck. Here's what he's telling him. You know what? You're going to be blessed in the fatness of the lamb that land, and that's exactly what did happen. He was blessed. His descendants were blessed, and eventually they're going to break free. The Edomites, the descendants of Esau, are going to break free from Israel just as was spoken here. So the blessing here reminds me of Abraham's toward Ishmael in that, you know what? You're not the son of promise, but you're still my son and God is going to still have a blessing for you, but it is not the blessing. His blessing would not have the eternal impact that his son's blessing would have. And the same is true for those who, you know, are outside of God's will. We can trust and know that we will miss out on God's highest. And finally, the last point here in the last five verses says there, and the last point is this, the consequences of deception. So Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are at hand, and then I'm going to kill my brother Jacob. He thought, you know what, dad's almost dead, and I'll wait till he dies. But when he does, Jacob is toast. You know what, when we practice deception, don't be surprised when we alienate the world. Don't be surprised when we alienate the very people we ought to be witnessing to. Let's not use deception to reach people. Let's be like Isaac was earlier when he would not contend and he would not strive, but instead was trusting in the Lord. Jacob's striving and, de- and, and deception, instead of waiting and trusting God, had brought about division with his own brother. Verse 42, And the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she called Jacob, her younger son, and said, Surely your brother... Esau comforts himself concerning you by intending to kill you. You know, your brother is going to be nice to you for a little while because he just wants to keep you near. So as soon as dad dies, he's going to kill you. And stay with him a few days. Now it says, now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise and flee to my brother Laban and Haran. Now how far away is that? 500 miles. You know what? Okay, you got the blessing, but now go 500 miles away. How'd that work out for you? You deceived to get what you think you wanted, and now you got to run and hide because you were de- being deceptive. And guess what? If he thinks he's a deceiver, wait till he meets Uncle Laban. You know, it's amazing how God will put us around people that were, are going to show us just how vile our behavior is. He, the deceiver, is going to go find the king of deceivers in Uncle Laban okay deception 101 let me give you the advanced class let me send you out to your uncle laban and let's find out how that's going to work out for you if they had just trusted god none of that would have had to happen and let's finish up and stay with them a few days until your brother's fury turns away a few days hmm you know how long it ends up being 20 years 20 years and the sad part is, look what it says, until your brother's anger turns away from you, verse 45, he forgets what you have done to him, then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I bereaved also of you both in one day? Her heart is that, you know what, if your brother kills you, I'm going to lose both of you as sons in a single day, because no doubt God is going to strike him down. So Rebecca says, go and hang out with him for a little while, verse 46, with your uncle Laban. And Rebecca said to Isaac, I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob takes a wife of the daughters of Heth like these of the daughters of the land, what good will my life be to me? She says, okay, look, you're going to go to Haran while you're there. You'll get a wife. And then when you come back, you know, in a little while, everything's going to be wonderful. Guess what? Rebecca never sees her son again. He leaves. He's gone 20 years and he dies while she's there. Her deception them practicing deception would cost them their relationship with each other. Instead of waiting upon the Lord and doing things God's way, trying to trick God and circumvent God and being deceptive, it never works out. It seems like everything went wonderful. He got the blessing he wanted. Guess what? No. He's now no separation. Jacob had no idea what was waiting for him when he went. And Rebecca had no idea that she was never going to see her son again. So how did that deception work out in closing? Jacob never sees his mom again. His brother hates him and wants him dead. His uncle Laban's about to deceive him. His family life is full of conflict, and he gets exiled from his own family for 20 years. Guys, trying to manipulate God is never the way to go. Trust him. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Lord, I'm not going to push, strive. I'm just going to lay it all at your feet. When we're tempted to follow our flesh, God will provide a way of escape. We need to take it. God's promises are assured. We do not need to strive to attain them. So, God's grace and and the carnality of man. God's grace, he's still with us even after we've blown it. We're a testimony to God's grace. Then the carnality of man, showing total disregard for God's command. That's a sign of someone who's carnal. Walking in indifference to the Lord. Number two, choosing fleshly appetites over the word of God. Give me the venison. Give me, feed my flesh and I'll give you whatever you want. I don't care what the word of God says. Number three, using fleshly schemes to bring about God's will. Trying to strive and force God's hand. Walking in deception while rejected and and rejecting an opportunity to repent. You know, God gives us opportunities, and we just keep on walking. Finally, the consequences of spiritual indifference and the consequences of deception are heavy. Guys, God, let's trust God. He knows what's best, amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and, and Lord, we thank you that the best lessons are indeed learned by experience, but it doesn't always have to be our experience. Sometimes, Lord, just seeing the experience of those in Scripture can be such a lesson for each of us. Father, when we want to try to make things happen in our flesh, Lord, bring us to the end of ourself. Help us, Lord, not to be deceiving. Help us, Lord, not to try to make things happen our way. But Lord, to rest in you, to trust in you, to remain desperate for you. Lord, help us not to lie or deceive. Help us, Lord, when we are walking in the wrong direction and you make the way of escape. Help us, Lord, to repent. So, Lord, we love you and praise you, Lord, that you do love us, that you care for us, that even when we've blown it, you're still with us. And Lord, for anybody here tonight that feels like they're in that place, Lord, may they know your love and your grace, that though it's a million steps away from you, it is truly one step back. Help us, Lord, to walk in the center of your will. We, without you, we can do nothing. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So strengthen us, Lord, to walk in the center of your will. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said,